Get Pucked. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Get Pucked. Here today with me is Vito. You'll notice Dave is not here, but we do have a special guest. Uh, initially, he was going to be a guest for the podcast, but I guess now he's just straight up filling in for Dave. Thanks so much, Marco. It's Marco D'Amico. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, he's the hockey expert and at his website, uh, scrimmageandstats.com. Marco, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, man. Thanks for being here. Believe us, this is much more of a treat for us than it is for you. Dave owes you one, Marco. <laughs> Dave yeah, owes you one as now. As long as it's not his firstborn child, I think we're good. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to that another time, I think. But uh, what what we do want to talk today, however, um, is is a little bit of hockey, as you can guess. So what we typically do here is we kind of just dive right into it, man. So the thing I want to talk about right off the bat, because it's kind of topical for tonight, the Habs are playing tonight. They might have actually just, just started. Um, what is going through the mind of Dom Ducharme? Could you explain to me why, in your opinion, you think Pitlick, Dvorak, and Paling deserve to sit? Is this a showcase thing, or is this just Dom doing his Dom thing and that we still, after all this time, just cannot seem to figure it out? I mean, I think there's a little bit of a little bit of everything in each of the situations. I think with Dvorak, uh, they are being a little extra cautious with him since he's already been out twice this season with injury. So uh, there's no rush um, that he comes back this game or that he comes back, you know, in, in two games as long as he's 100%. I can understand that. And, you know, that means that uh, Ryan Paling draws in. So that makes a ton of sense to me as well. Um, as it pertains to uh, Rem, Piblet, uh, Rem Pitlick and Michael Pizzetta being out. Yeah, I, I, I think he's showcasing some guys here. I think realistically, who would you have taken out for those guys? You would have probably taken out, you know, Armia, maybe Laurent Dauphin. I think at a certain point in time, there are some yeah. players that have earned their spot. Like Dauphin for me has outplayed basically everybody on the fourth line. So I, I don't think he should be out by any means. And I think Armia is being shopped. I think it's very, very evident. That was a Bergevin guy. And I, I, for a team that wants to get skilled and fast, Armia is the antithesis of that. So like <laughs> you're going the wrong way for keeping Armia. So like I could, especially if you're going to keep like a guy like Anderson, who's, who's a big body, you know, like that can play in all situations. Uh, Armia becomes extremely expendable, and you have a right winger in Laval and in Ulanen that's you know basically begging for a call up another goal this weekend. So I I, I could definitely see him being showcased, and of course uh, Mike Hoffman is probably also being showcased as we speak. Whether or not that happens, I doubt. Uh, mm. You know that'll probably be in the next year uh, that we see a guy like Hoffman move. But again, putting your veterans out there. Um, Dominic Ducharme said something interesting in regards to, you know, like not having the full control over who he gets to play and who he gets to make his lines with. And that was really telling to me because why do you have Cole Caulfield on a fourth line, right? Like he's putting Cole Caulfield on a fourth line because he is in his mind, the fourth best right winger available right now. They even have to shift on me to left wing. So that to me tells me that Kent Hughes hasn't sent him down for some reason. And Generally speaking, I think that that's because they're way, they're waiting on trades. I think that the Canadians are going to be moving out contracts, but I don't think they want to touch the young core. I think they're going to want to leave them in Laval because Laval is going to make the playoffs this year. Um, so you may see some contracts coming back Montreal's way, and they may fill up the bottom six, and that's when a guy like Cole Caulfield, a guy like Ryan Paling can get sent back down to finish the year in Laval. 
Well, that that you you dove into a couple other questions I was going to ask you, but but talking about guys like this, so there's been so much talk lately, of course, from fans and, and media about trade possibilities and and who is likely to go, who isn't likely to go. Yourself included have been amongst many of these conversations. So obviously, the key guys like Ben Sherrod is constantly named. Uh, Jeff Petrie, as of late, seems to be a very hot topic, and and apparently. Uh, depending on who you listen to, a lot of teams interested, uh, regardless how much he's making. Listen, I'm just repeating. Not my opinion, just what we've been reading. Uh, guys like yeah. Lekkonen as well. Uh, and then even guys like they're throwing out names like Kulak and stuff, which, okay, if you if you trade Kulak off, okay. But ultimately, I would like to know, realistically, in your opinion, what are the true expectations of the values of these guys at trade deadline? Let's not say what they should net you if you go to offseason. Let's say these guys end up getting moved at the trade deadline. And then you also mentioned guys like Hoffman as a potential, right? I doubt he's going anywhere too, but what 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 should the fans truly expect? I mean, you got people saying first for everybody. Everybody's getting first. Everybody's getting roster players. Everybody's getting prospects. Like what what would you tell fans to to kind of cool their jets? Or or are they right? Are some of these guys truly going to net you back some big returns? I think some of them are going to net you back some big returns. I think that we're overly pessimistic about the value of players in this market, and we're constantly surprised at returns for players. I mean, I remember we also tend article, to over, we, we also tend to overvalue a lot of players too. We right? overvalue so. the players that don't play on the team, and we undervalue the players that do play on the on the team. So we overvalue our prospects as as a fan base, and we That's undervalue any single player that isn't on a linear trajectory to success. Any bump in the road and they immediately lose all value. Even though, you know, this is the same fan base that refused to trade Max Domi one for one for Patrick Liney. So will we do that trade today? Absolutely. I completely no forgot Not about that fans. stupidity. Not these exactly. fans. Or remember oh, how Galchenyuk was worth nothing more than a second rounder? Brought back almost a 72-point center for a season. And now you have True. Anderson. Like, True. we need to chill. Is, is what I tell everybody. I don't think it's ever going to be as crazy high, but as crazy low as people think. And I think the player that best personifies that is Jeff Petrie. It's it's so polarizing seeing the way that people talk about him <laughs> as if he's some cap Some complete like, bum. Some it's, complete it's, pylon. Yeah, Forget the past six, four years. Forget him. There are six happened. defensemen in this league that have scored 40 points in four consecutive seasons. And Jeff Petrie was one of them. I... We were calling him Jeff Norris a year ago right now. That's right. That's right. Listen, People we all know that. just forget play, to play hockey. Well, exactly, right? And I've said that in a previous <laughs> episode. It's normal for certain players to start to decline, but it's not normal for a player to completely forget how to play hockey. And the guy's got wheels. He can still skate. He still has the tools. It's just he's having a, an off year. His mind is not in it at all for all well, the other reasons that we, we've all heard about it right and and one thing we've known about petrie even when he was with edmonton is when his, his head's not in it his whole game's affected so it's not a night in night out he you could get a different version it's, it's consistent he's either consistently good or consistently bad and right now he's in a he's consistently bad but the, the gms around the league are not gonna toss away everything that he's done or achieved in the last couple of years he's got value and and if Absolutely. people think otherwise are just you know they're just looking at the fact that he's you know earned six point two five million for another for a few more years and he's thirty four years old, uh, you know no I but mean, I think I think the everyday fan is reasonable to say like well he is so bad that no matter how much goodwill was there from before and the Jeff Norris and all that stuff of a year ago 
I mean, his play truly has like not even like fallen off a cliff. It's completely nosedive, bottom of the Atlantic. Like he is completely at the bottom. Well, Matt, Matt, now, Matt, I get but, it, but, but, like, but no, I'm but I'm just gonna... saying, I get, I get from a fan's perspective when they look at it and say, how could this guy net you what he would have net you if we wanted to move him last year? I can understand no, the mindset. He would, have, he would have netted you far more than like I. I came out and said that he would probably net you something along the lines of what Pacioretty got, which would be a top prospect, a first or second round pick, and a, and a cap dump. I feel like if they would have traded him last year, it would have been like two first round picks and your best prospect. That's right. So his value did go down, but not to the to. point where he's a fourth. Like trade me a fourth and like a seventh and a salary dump. Okay. Well, there, there, we've, I've, you've yeah. seen some tweets, Marco. And I, I mean, you're very responsive on Twitter, and and some of the tweets like, yeah, Jeff Petrie for for a third and some like. Yeah, that that was ridiculous. Come on. It's insane. Yeah. I get people's affinity and love for (sighs) for PK Subban, but there's certain things that you just can't do. And you said it, there was one of your tweets that you had mentioned. uh, Tell me that you bring in PK Subban as a free agent on a low cost at the end of the year. That's okay. Fine. I'm cool with that. Like, uh, it's all right. But to say that you're going to trade Jeff Petrie one for one for PK Subban is just. That's why I said, like, they're, if they're trading Subban for Petrie, there better be, like, I don't know, their second-round pick and, like, I don't know, uh, another first-round pick the following year or a top prospect that they have that's going with it because that's what he's worth. That's basically it. And teams out West are extremely interested. I had a source straight up tell me, he goes, watch out, because I've heard that there are teams specifically in the Central Division that are looking at him. You look at a team like Dallas that's going to be shedding Klingberg very soon. Uh, yep. That's not a core that wants to be rebuilding. That's a core that wants to still compete uh, without losing value on a guy like Klingberg. So they may turn around and trade Klingberg for a first and a prospect and another, you know, another asset. They can take that late first that they've gotten from a contender and flip it with another prospect for Jeff Petrie and a cap dump. And boom, their product, their, their problem of filling that top four slot is finished. Instantly sold. Yep. You're not going to fill it this summer. Chris Latin is one of the only ones. John Klingberg himself, he's not going to sign with you. Uh, there's maybe three or four top four right defensemen, and there are 32 teams in this league. So, you know, chances are you're going to strike out. So why don't you get assurances so that your core doesn't basically waste the last years of his life and a guy like Jeff Petrie? Is Dallas, I, I, in your opinion, the front runner? you think? I think it makes the most amount of sense. Julie Petrie is from Houston. She's preggers as well. They want to be close to the States. Um it's a very easy lifestyle over there. And at the same time, and, and this is the thing, he fits that court. Like Jamie Ben is not getting any older. Radulov is not getting any older. You look at uh, guys like um, Pavelski. He may resign, but he's not, you know, he's basically at the tail end of his career as well. Uh, that's an old team. And they, if they decide to blow it up, like if they trade John Klingberg and they don't add, they're basically going towards the retools. And, and will Jamie Ben, will Tyler Sege necessarily be on board? That brings up bigger questions. I think it's far easier for Dallas and Jim Nill to try and plug the hole that's left from John Klingberg leaving since Heiskanen is the first defenseman. Uh, you know, it's very easy for them to, to, to do that switch. Sorry about that. Very easy for them to do that switch. They're just one team. Like Washington can be an option. Nashville can be an option. There are a few teams, and I've been told it's not just, you know, three or four teams that have called and have, like, a legitimate interest. It's six, seven. Nashville, so it could be Nashville a bidding, has a bidding war? You think a bidding war is possible here? Like, are we? I we've been talking so. about Ben Sherratt for like weeks, as he's the premium player that's going to leave the roster to net you the biggest return, likely. You know, Lecky, you hear it people saying, 
Yeah, yeah. Lecky is, oh, maybe Lecky gets you a first and, and a late pick. And then Lecky's also, oh, maybe he gets you a second and a, and a prospect. So I don't think he's going to be the, the guy who brings you back the big return. But ever since Jeff Petrie's name's come up and, and, and fielding away the comments of those thinking that he's not worth a bag of pucks, it's like, if, if there's a bidding war, this could be incredibly advantageous for the Habs, considering they also have a ton of space to bring back money, which I imagine is very Absolutely. attractive to a lot of teams as well. So we, we might be very, very surprised is where I'm heading with this. Well, And especially if they take money back, right? Because they need yeah. money back. They absolutely need to have, you know, some form of bodies coming back the other way because there's it's they're not going to bring up their prospects to finish the year. So for me, sure. at, the, at the end of the day, when you're looking at what they're going to do with trades, I expect them to be extremely creative with their trades, extremely active. Um, yes, Ben Chirot's the easy one. I think Lekkonen obviously is going to be the one of the more complicated trades, but I have utter confidence that if they really, really want to, if a team really wants Jeff Petrie, Jeff, that trade is going to happen. The other uh, thing a lot of Habs fans need to consider, I know there's a lot of people that want to get rid of Jeff Petrie because of the season he's having. It's not going to be easy to replace what Jeff Petrie brought. I mean, oh, he's a right, not there's not many right-handed defensemen in the NHL who can move the puck the way he can and could produce 40, 50 points a season. No, but, it, but like, if he's not going to be that guy anymore, then it's you got to well, move Well, no, yeah, him, no, right? for sure. I'm not, I'm not saying otherwise, but I'm just saying it's certain fans are like, oh, that are their expectation is by getting rid of Peachy, they're going to be better, a better team to get. No, they won't be. No. It's going to be hard to replace Jeff yeah, Peachy on this team. absolutely. And they don't have a they don't have a prospect in the pool that could do that. Like no, that, they have on the left side, is, but not on the right side. Yep. Exactly. And so this is one of the major things. Like if you trade a Jeff Petrie, um, you know, you're trading it for a future asset that's probably going to net you a, a right shot defenseman. That could be a late first round pick in this draft. That could be a prospect that's a that's a right handed shot as well. It's there's a lot of things to keep in mind. And I feel like, you know, we're talking about these two when we're talking about like Sherratt and Lekinen because you know. They're at the end of their contracts or restricted free agents. You're right. When you look at Petrie, it's a complicated deal. But I feel like that advantages Montreal more because they have the flexibility. They know they're going to be trading out a guy like Jeff Petrie. They know they're going to be trading out a guy like Lekin. And that's going to free up salaries and contract spots for them. So I think they're going to be able to take on. And the biggest question of it all is if Carey Price does not come back, his LTIR stays till the end of the season. That That's gives massive. Montreal a flexibility lot of take on cap. flexibility yeah. to take yeah. on contracts. And there's a team in Vegas right now that's pretty damn Oh, yeah. They're in oh. big trouble. If you want to go and pick up a Riley Smith for cheap, that's and then the name turn I around, that came to mind for me, too. Yeah. And then turn around and flip him to a contender at 50% for an even bigger return, you have that liberty. So, this is what these are the kinds of moves I would expect from Ken Hughes if we know that Carey Price simply cannot go this season. So, I want to jump in and bring in, start talking about the draft a little bit, the upcoming draft. And and all it all looks like now with the restrictions being lifted that it's going to happen in Montreal. I mean, still to be confirmed, but it looks like it's going to happen in Montreal. Um, so Shane Wright had a slow start to the season. We all know that. We saw that. Um, and but he's been he's picked it up the, of late. Shane One, Wright is. is- it's a yeah. difficult player to look at, man. It's you expect Connor Bedard, and you're disappointed because he plays a less flashy game. It's unfortunate. Okay, so to help certain fans who haven't had the opportunity to really watch any watch him or watch highlights of him, or if they only watched highlights and they made their their assumptions, who would you say uh, is a good comparable for his his game? 
I'm not saying that whoever you, you you compare him to is that's who he's going to be, but like who does his game resemble a lot for you? Everyone says Patrice Bergeron. I think that makes a ton of sense. I mean, very smart, intelligent two-way player. That's he's going to affect the game in all in all realms. I feel like he's if you look at a prospect level and you think recently he's like a level right above what Nick Suzuki was, and I feel like. A lot of people think that Nick Suzuki is that tweener first-line center. I think Shane Wright is a bona fide championship-winning first-line center. I just – I don't think he's going to be like Sidney Crosby-level offense. He's not going to get you off your seat game. in the sense – like a Conor Bedard. Well, he or, might because yeah. he has he has the ability. He has the tools. I think what Jeff Peach uh, – Jeff Peacher. I think what Shane Wright has that everyone seems to not remember is a year less of development a year and a half less of development. And you're looking at guys coming out of the OHL right now. Um, there's a reason why the Canadian major junior outside of the WHL is not very well represented in the top 20, because a lot of these guys didn't play or didn't play full seasons. Like the Q is already having itself like a pretty mediocre draft the way it's looking like, but the OHL usually dishes out players and outside yeah. of Shane Wright, not many people know about someone like Ty Nelson, uh, Del Bell Belouz, Owen Beck, um, they're going to start climbing now as we speak because they're all catching up. And we're noticed the same thing with Shane Wright. Shane Wright is now starting to heat up again. And he's close to the 1.5 point per game after starting very much close to the, to the point per game. Uh, and that's going to keep going up throughout the season. And when you look at Shane Wright and you're just looking at the box score and you're looking at the offense, yeah, it's not as impressive as Bedard. And Bedard is the better prospect. But when you're comparing it to other first, round, uh, first overall picks, like say uh, Nico Heischer, Nico Kishir played in a very easy maritime division for the Halifax Mooseheads the year of his draft and didn't really torch it. In fact, um, Shane Wright has a better um, points percentage right now than he did at the same time. And it was far easier to score in the QMJHL four years ago or now five years ago than it is now in the OHL. The OHL has gotten much tighter. So I think Shane Wright remains number one. However, I think this is the draft where you don't regret not winning the lottery because two, three, even four, in my opinion, are top line players to be as well. So, okay, then would it be wise or should Montreal at least consider if they do win the lottery draft and they're the first overall pick to trade down or would you keep the pick? Yeah, I'd keep the pick. I mean, uh, how about I put it this way? The reason why I think they end up keeping the pick is the same reason why they traded in the first place. Everybody would see that coming. I don't feel like someone would really have to be in love, like absolutely in love with Shane Wright to make that trade within the top five, because or else it just doesn't make sense. And really, you've never, you haven't seen a trade in the top five on draft day in what, 20 some odd years since the Sedins, basically? No, uh, since uh, 2003. Uh, with Marc-Andre Fleury and Eric Stahl. So, it, it, I, for me, it would be shocked. Personally, if Montreal gets the opportunity to draft Shane Wright, they shouldn't really think twice about it. They should just draft Shane Wright. It's just, if they pick second and it's Logan Cooley, or if they pick third and they pick Simon Nemich, or they end up picking Matthew Savoy, uh, it's not that bad. It's not like they suffered this season, the worst season in modern era, uh, oh, for yeah. nothing. They got an exceptional player. Okay. And, and, and so... Since since you're talking about what what the Habs should and 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 obviously we're we're in agreement with you, but I am curious. In a hypothetical situation, I congratulate you. You now run the Montreal Canadiens. You are the man at the top. 
Yeah, what would and, and, and I'm not giving you I'm not giving you the fair time to to prepare yourself as one would in that position, but let's just go with it and say, what would be your game plan for next year for the 22-23 season? Like, what would you want the team to trend towards? What would you want? What are some of the things that you would immediately institute and put in place as changes? Would you play more of the kids? Would you try to load up on veterans to to help the young ones and keep your prospects in in Laval and not do this up and down? Like, what's Marco's perfect plan for everything to go perfect next season? I think you have to keep rolling out the, I think you need to keep rolling out the assets that you have on the long-term contract. So this is why like a lot of people want to trade the entirety of the team and then just like go from scratch and have nothing but prospects. Like, like for example, what Arizona would like to do. I don't, that's not something I do. Uh, we've seen teams like Edmonton and Buffalo just literally dwindle there forever. Even Florida was accumulating topic after topic after topic for how long? And only now they put it together because yep. they finally got, you know, actual structure and depth. Uh, a GM that was filling the rosters, not the paychecks, you know, it's it's definitely different. So I, I prefer Montreal go that route. I think, you know, if you look at other rebuilds in the past, I think Montreal has some key pieces that are already – uh, ahead of the game, uh, you have guys like Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Romanov, Gouli. Uh, already, that's that's that puts you ahead of the game, and then you have a more than likely top three pick this year. So th- that's your core right there, and you can continue adding to that over the seasons with trades. I think that's what they got to do. They got to be smart. I don't want them to trade every single veteran on the team. I think that you need a mix. So you have to choose which veterans, and I think that's what they're doing right now. Based on what we're seeing right now and based on contract status and whatnot, you know, I'd love to keep Arturi Lekkanen, but Arturi Lekkanen is probably going to ask you for a contract that's superior to that of Yol Armia's, and that's already a, an anchor of a contract now. I think I would move a guy like him, but I would keep, in consequence, I would keep a guy like Toffoli. I would keep a guy like Anderson, at least yes. for an extra and, year. And Paul Byron. Yes. I'd keep Paul and Byron. Paul, Paul Byron's going nowhere. That contract's no, not No, I know. But no. even if even if he wa- if he had the value and he could, he could move... Oh, given that he's a low maintenance guy, yeah, he should be moved next year at deadline by retaining fifty percent. I think that's a stronger value for asset management because this is a guy that, when he is healthy, uh, lays it all on the ice, and he's such a valuable and 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 trustworthy bottom six player that I wouldn't have a problem having him on the same line as say a Jesse Ulan in next year to really shoulder the you know the the line and and the responsibility, especially defensive responsibility. So. It is really important to keep some of them. On defense, unfortunately, uh, you're losing a lot of that veteran leadership. Hopefully, Edmondson comes back because that is the crux of it to begin with. But then I think it's going to become very evident very quickly that a guy like Caden Gooley and a guy like Alexander Romanov are quickly going to become the young veterans of that blue line, and they're going to handle a lot of the leadership responsibilities. Uh, That's what they were drafted for, and I feel like they're going to get their opportunity under Hughes and Gorton rather quickly. So let me let me go back to the draft for a second. I just wanted to, who who would you consider to be an underrated first round pick? Somebody that people are not really talking about, but could could rise up the ranks. And in contrast, who would you say would also go up? A la a la KK, a la Kotkaniemi, how how he went from like being a a 15 to then some people putting him in the top 10, and then all of a sudden it's like okay, he could be a top five. And ends up going third overall. Who are some of those players in the for upcoming draft that you think can jump up or even drop down? So jump up, uh, Frank Nazar. 
of the U.S. National Development Program. He plays with Logan Cooley. Uh, you watch this kid play, and it's like watching the London Knights version of Patrick uh, Patrick Kane. It's but is he benefiting by because he's playing with Logan Cooley? I think both are benefiting from playing with each other. Like it's really it's if you ever watched Taze play with Kane in Chicago, like on the same line, it's that. It reminds me there's so the combination of those two players is exactly what one sees with Taze and Kane. Cooley plays a game that's very much like Taze, uh, has a little bit more finish, a little bit more skill. Taze was a high skill player in, in the NCAA, but kind of toned it down when he got to the NHL and focused more on the two-way game. But they play that same style. So when I watch Frank Nazar, like no one's talked about him much because he didn't have the hype. And right now, I think he's over two points per game playing against USHL talent. I mean, that's insanity. That's that's going to get you all kinds of points. And that's basically, if you look at it, that's similar numbers to what like a guy like Hughes did. Jack Hughes had a lot of good pace, but he was playing with guys like Zegers and, and Caulfield. Right now, it's Cooley, Nazar, Snuggerud, uh, Cutter, Gossier. There's a lot of guys in there. That's a deep team again, and they're leading it by a country mile. And that's what's key to that's what's key to, to pay attention. Nazar is a guy who really a lot of people have like nah, 10, 13, 15. You're gonna find him in the top five if he keeps this up. Everyone's taking notice now. He's risen into practically every major scouting. Uh, rankings top 10 uh i think he finishes in the top five then who could drop down somebody that's in the top brad 10 now that pardon brad lambert okay and that's not me i think he should be a top 10 pick no question but i think he may drop down uh out of the top 10 because of what because of his slow start uh in in liga and then obviously changing teams and going to the pelicans uh mid-season uh, that might rub a lot of scouts the wrong way, especially from a character perspective. So you could see him dropping out of some lists uh, of the top 10. Um, another one is Joachim Kamel. Um, you know, he started off really strong, like record-breaking October and November, and is now pointless in his last 10 games uh, in Liga, which is basically half of the games he's played this year. So it goes to show you, like, when a player is super hot and given, like, 20 minutes a game in a league, like, it bodes well for them. Now he's kind of, you know, not shooting at 30% anymore. And uh, it looks like he's... <laughs> he's normal again. He's a human. Exactly. So he has the tools to be considered a top 10 pick. Like he has those effective tools. Uh, for me, it's just, you know, he'll, he's probably going to end up going, instead of going f second or third, like a lot of people had him at the beginning of the year, uh, you may see him slide to like 7-8 which is not that big of a slide but you know when we're talking about it it is that is what it is so uh, so one thing i'll just ask it straight up because you mentioned it before as part of the core are you bullish on cole caulfield because a lot of people seem to think like already the book is is out on him and and he is not what he was promised to be versus me personally i think this kid given the time and given the proper structure with the proper well, coach track now matt I'm not. I think he's going to be a 40 goal scorer in the NHL. I truly do. But some people are not sold on him. And some people are already done with him. You got people putting him in trade offers already to get him off the team. Are you bullish on yeah, him or are you are you like you know, well, listen. No, I, no, look, I, I'll put it this way. This is the worst Canadians team of all time. 
This is the worst start to any regular season in the last 60 years. This team is not good. And one of their major weaknesses is at center. Cole Caulfield has played with a top six NHL center this season for all of three games. Yes, a lot of it is on him, but the start of that descent or the ruining of his confidence was Ducharme right from the get-go. Because the moment there was a thought that there, there could be victory, the moment it wasn't out of reach, it was everyone step out of the way and we're going to put the best players in our, in our eyes on the ice. And we don't give a shit if you're not ready. Uh, we are, quote, and I love this excuse, we're protecting you. And it's like, well, no, uh, you're not protecting him. In fact, what, what you're doing this is exactly what you did to Nick Ehlers when he came to play for the Halifax Mooseheads his first 10 games coming from Europe. He was benched half the time. And then he started finding chemistry with Drouin in Halifax. And boom, started playing him top minutes. It's exactly what happened to Caulfield last year with Suzuki. They they caught fire. They had chemistry. Played him together the entire playoffs. That is Dom Ducharme in a nutshell. So, so I, I take it you're not a Dom Ducharme fan. No, and I was a, I'm a Mooseheads fan. So you can just imagine... Um, uh, if, if you've listened to our last few episodes uh, or had the chance to even tune in at some point, you will uh, you will hear me often uh, bitch, if you want to say, or complain about Dom Ducharme. It's it's the structure or lack thereof. There or, is or rather no His deployment, we don't no – his system. We don't There's understand. No There's, and we are not NHL caliber coaches by a country mile. But when 95% of people have the same consensus that you are doing something incorrect, maybe there's some truth to that. And Dude, it doesn't, you don't need them. to be an NHL caliber coach to see another coach's system. If there is none and it's apparent that there is none, it's not going to take long for people to figure out or not be able to figure out what the hell is going on. And when it comes to Dom Ducharme, I said it before and I'll say it again, I still till this day can't figure out what the crap – is what the fuck is the system? I can't figure it out. I don't know what it is. Uh, all I can see is, uh, at least defensively, is the Habs defense and the whole team collapse in front of their goalie, but they let the players come in. It's like you're you're letting them play the puck in your in your in the defensive zone and take possession and get control yeah. of the game. So, anyways, I, I've said this countless times. I just Dom Ducharme has to go. I just don't think now is the right time. And a lot of people are saying, oh, maybe it's time sure. to go. He'll finish. He'll finish. If they had a coach, yeah. if they had a coach in mind and there was somebody that they wanted, they would have already gotten rid of Ducharme to bring that person in. They don't have somebody in place right now. Or if they do it, they're going to. They, I don't. I think they have someone in mind and it's just not that that no. person probably wants to finish out the season. I don't think you're hiring a coach of experience to replace Dom Ducharme. I think it's going to be another rookie coach, but a well-regarded rookie coach. That's more offensively inclined because the grand, grand majority of coaches that have come out of Quebec over the last 20 years are defensive-minded coaches. Which well, is they all they the all Q, follow the Jacques Lemaire system, right? They're which, all which is hilarious because the Q is the worst defensive league in in Canada. It's it's <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Like their defense suck, and they produce like maybe one good defenseman every three years. It's mind-boggling that the coaches that come out of that league are the defensive ones. But yeah, here we are. So I look, I think a guy like Benoit Du, I think a guy like Pascal Vincent make far more sense than a guy like Dom Ducharme. Dom Ducharme relies solely on the ability of his centers to carry the puck up with the defenseman. It doesn't go to wingers, which is why this system doesn't work, because they don't have experienced centers that come down low to get the puck. 
one of the main reasons Montreal was so good last year, especially in the playoffs, was because Phil Deneau and Nick Suzuki are masters at sinking down into the defensive zone to help their defensemen and start breakouts immediately. And that's what that's what helped them so much over the last two years with Suzuki specifically. Now Suzuki, they see him coming. So the center of the opposing team is already waiting for him at the center of the defensive zone. And the defenseman is right there behind his centerman waiting to get to that puck in case he happens to get by the initial coverage. So everybody knows how to beat Ducharme's system in his own zone, and that's how they get trapped. Unfortunately, they haven't adapted it, which is hilarious because I'm some idiot that's just calling it as we see it. And, you know, as you're watching the game right now against against the Devils, it's happening again. So if he doesn't have the strong center line, and if he doesn't have defensemen that are easily able to move the puck up, he has no system. Part of this is on Ducharme. Part of this is horrendous roster construction from Bergevin. Talk about not knowing your coach. And that, that unfortunately, if Jeff Petrie wasn't able to effectively move the puck up every single game, they were they were finished because he was the only defenseman that was able to go end-to-end without issue. So this is a question that I have for you that you've debated, you've debated it on Twitter. And people have brought it up. I, I mean... I think it's come up even on my Twitter, uh, on my Twitter feed, and on the Get Puck Twitter feed. Would you trade the first overall pick if Montreal were to win for Alex? Not for Lafreniere. No chance. That's what I said. I agree. I mean, look, I'll put it to you this way: Lafreniere is struggling at the beginning of his career in New York. Yeah. If he were a Montreal Canadian, he would already be traded. He'd have been crucified. Yeah, I know. And that was the. He would, that was... No, he, he would already be traded Traded. right now. He would have been traded for Eichel. I'm telling you right now, he would have it, already been gone. It, it's hard for for Quebec-born players to come here. One of the reasons is because whether whether it's the fans and the media that put the pressure, or whether it's just themselves that put the pressure on themselves, is just the Mon- if Alexi Lafreniere were drafted by the Montreal Canadiens, the Montreal fans would have forced Guy Lafleur to unretire his jersey just so they can give him number ten. That's how crazy that would have been. That that would be that level. They would call him the Demo Pablon just because they would want someone to be <laughs> so much like the last superstar, right? The last offensive superstar. And ultimately, that's what's that's what's holding them back is this inability to move on and 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 change what they're doing and the way they they, they view the franchise. You don't need a French Canadian superstar. You need a superstar. This team hasn't had a point per game player in like 27 years. It's yep. it's, it's about time. Like, the last one was uh, well, the last point per game player. Team? No, well, Kovalev got a point over a point per 80, game. He, no, he but got uh, like 80, 84 maybe? and 82. For real? Yeah. Bless his soul. But before that, it was Vincent Dofus. Yeah, it was Dofus exactly. So that's once in 30 years for me is is or 27 years is just not enough. And that is far too long consistently like even multiple point per game seasons doesn't exist Montreal had good defensemen great goalies but not no offensive superstar and that has plagued them since Lafleur, in my honest opinion so it's it's going to be for me I would keep that first overall pick and I would trust that Gordon and Hughes are going to revamp that developmental department and that is going to lead to the success of the Montreal Canadiens that they draft you know, we're focused on this draft. They're probably going to finish in the bottom five next year as well. And that's going to be a wicked bottom five. So 
if they can just we'll take it. rebuild over two or three years, like finish in the bottom for two or three years or close to the bottom, but play kids and push out stuff for you know fans to see and players to 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 engage with, at that point, I think that you're going to start to see a shift and it's going to be about speed, it's going to be about skill. Well, we forgot okay. about well, well, we forgot about one guy. I just want to touch on him because he, for some reason, I don't know, we started talking about French Canadian players and it just came back to me entirely. Does Jonathan Drouin uh, survive the trade deadline? I think he does. I don't think he did. If, I don't think he would have if he were healthy, but I think he does now. And that's a guy that you can easily move in the offseason or a trade deadline next year. Like he gets you, he nets you a first next year for sure. Like that's, that's not even a question. I know a lot of people think he's worth nothing, but he nets you a first. Well, and there was to retain half. There have been teams that have been interested in the past in him. St. Louis. Oh, yeah. We've got confirmation already. Right. Yeah. Nashville apparently has in, in, recently inquired on him too to see if he's available. Then. Yeah. Well, they was said uh, today. Nashville came out and said they were actually not looking for defensemen. They're looking for a scoring left winger. The Habs happen to have two that are available. But um, yeah, they do. Uh, I you see. I'm I'm in the school of thought right now. Is obviously you want to try to trade as many as you can and as many assets as you can by the trade deadline, but. Hughes does have the luxury of, of, with certain players of being able to be patient for the offseason and probably start a bidding war for certain players. And players like Jeff Petrie and Drew Wayne probably come to mind when it comes to that. Um, but I have a feeling Jeff Petrie is going to probably be gone by the trade deadline. Oh, I, I think would, so too. I think, I would, I I would think say that's so. fair. It's just, I don't want them to just clean house in one shot. I want them to do it gradually. Like the Rangers did it right. They got rid of two, three guys one year. Then they got rid of another two guys the year after, and then they finished it off by getting by trading Kevin Hayes so, the last year. So this is my last question about Jeff Petrie, and maybe even for the night. But uh, if they were to trade Jeff Petrie for a Pacioretty type deal, who is a who is a prospect that falls into that Suzuki mold, or that that is that the Habs should look for across the league for? the rebuild or the reconstruction phase that they're going to go through. Like, that, like a that, top level prospect like a top level with prospect. a salary player that, back. That, with that a, is with re- a realistic. Yeah. That is realistic in the sense that you can get him in a Petri trade. Yeah. Okay. So Dallas would be probably Maverick Bork, in my opinion. I feel like that makes a ton of sense. And it's someone that the Canadians really liked in his draft year. Um, I think with Dallas, you're looking at either Luke Evangelista or Zachary Leather. Um, because their top prospects Nashville, are basically Askarov. Sorry, Nashville. What did I say? Dallas. Dallas again. Sorry, <laughs> Nashville. Nashville would be uh, Askarov uh, and Zvechkov as their untouchables, and then basically then play with Evangelista or <clears throat> um, why am I blanking now? No, no, no. And then if you look at maybe a team like Washington, um, you know, if they swap with Montreal and take Schultz for Petrie, there goes your salary difference, and then the, you can give first and a prospect. That could be Vincent Iorio, who is a good right defenseman. I doubt that they would give Hendrix Lapierre, but Vincent Iorio uh, is turning heads right now in junior hockey, uh, and the Canadians are very thin on right defense, and he looks like he's going to be a pretty solid top four. So there are teams that are going to be willing to make that move, and I'm sure we're going to hear about more of them as we go along uh, leading up to the trade deadline. And so my final question for you is on a, on a plus or minus in terms of first round picks that the Canadians are going to have in the upcoming draft, what is your 
pass or fail grade for them? How many first round picks must they have leading into this draft year to be? Yep, they Hughes and and um, now I'm blanking. Jeff Gordon. Uh, and then Gordon, like, do they do do they get a passing grade from you? Does it have to be two? Can does it have to be three? Um, what Just where are you at? It doesn't matter to me how many first round picks they get. It's the value they get in return. Like, if they get a really good prospect instead of a first round pick, like, I won't be I won't be sad, right? Because it's it's always going to speed up a rebuild if you're getting a prospect as opposed to a pick because the prospect has already done some development and and will be Very close true. to the NHL generally. Now that being said. Uh, even giving that, I would expect at minimum two first round picks this year. And then they have a very early uh, second round pick. Uh, if they stay the way they are, they're picking 33rd uh, in the second round, which is basically yet another first uh, late first. They picked 31st last year. So right. it's basically the same value. And so that's something to keep in mind. Personally, for me, my over under, I wouldn't be shocked if they had three first round picks. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, that it'd be all in 2022, maybe not, but I think they're, they're going to have now you're speaking my language. Yeah. Well, I mean, those that think that they're going to get unprotected 2023 picks are probably sleeping on or taking some, some very good substance, but I believe that at least those that are, you know, I believe 2023 protected first round picks could be on the move this year, especially for like a team like Florida that's going all in or a team like Colorado that's going all in. Uh, you may be able to get a protected pick there for the next draft. So it'll be interesting, especially in hockey deals. Like if Toffoli is moved, for example, that could be that could be an option as well. I really so, hope it does get uh, moved, though. I really think uh, so. Me too. But I like to if they it. get an offer that's simply just too good to pass up, like I'll understand. You know, like it's one of those deals where you're just kind of like, I had to make it. And we've seen that with Bergevin in the past, like when when he was approached for – um, Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischman, and they offered him a second and a no. Like that was too good to pass up. So, I, like I can, I can definitely understand, um, you know, deals making you change course. So that's why I think it's going to be a very interesting time because you have a player agent right now that's super respected around the league and then knows how to negotiate. So it, it could lead to some pretty uh, dynamic trade creativity. Well, here's hoping, man. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna end it here. Uh, Marco, we really, really appreciate you taking the time and having a chat with us. It's been super insightful and, and getting to see you now. Uh, now I put a face to the voice on the radio when I hear yeah. you on the weekend. So it's fantastic. Uh, again, everybody, this was Marco D'Amico. He's at the hockey expert on Twitter. You'll also find his website, scrimmageandstats.com. Uh, Marco, really, again, just super. Thanks so much, man. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure, man. And I hope Dave has a healthy baby to talk about when I talk to him. Well, uh, us too. Us too. For, uh, Dave, uh, Dave missed a good one, but hopefully he'll be back for the next episode. Um, everybody, again, please thank you so much for listening. Like, subscribe. You know the drill. We've been saying it the whole time. And uh, for Vito and myself this time, this was Get Pucked. Get Pucked.